Life Audio. Before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to express my sincere thanks for listening and to let you know that I host three shows on the Life Audio Podcast Network. I'd love to invite you to listen to all three. The Chapter a Day Audio Bible is a daily reading of one chapter of Scripture, followed by a time of prayer related to each day's passage. New episodes are released each day of the week. Daily Devotions with Pastor John is another daily show where I share some encouraging thoughts and exposition on some of my favorite passages from the Bible. I release this show each day as a spiritual pick-me-up that also has the potential to foster spiritual maturity. Dwell on These Things is a long-form weekly show where we take an in-depth look at God's Word and learn more about how all Scripture is pointing our hearts toward Jesus. New episodes are released on Mondays, and sometimes I include a second bonus episode on Thursdays. As always, thanks for listening to each of my podcasts, the Chapter a Day Audio Bible, Daily Devotions with Pastor John, and Dwell on These Things. And after a quick word from our sponsors, we'll jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast. I'm John Stonge, and today I have two very special guests with me. I have Chuck and Ashley Elliott with me, and they are the authors of the brand new book, I Used to Be. And the the book, I Used to Be, it's it's a, a very practical and very wise and very helpful book in a variety of ways, but the book is all about how to navigate large and small losses in life and find your path forward. And I think that that's a subject that each of us can identify with. And, and I'm, I'm really grateful for, for Chuck and Ashley. I had the opportunity to get to know them a little over a year ago, and we've become friends since, and we're really excited about their new book. So Chuck, Ashley, welcome to the Dwell on These Things podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're excited to chat about this, and we've been excited to see your journey in this past year as well. So we just appreciate the connection of like-minded people trying to do things. Yeah, well, I always excited. love seeing. Yeah, I, I always love seeing how the Lord brings people together, and uh, I, I actually. So, I, as I recall, uh, we we were at an event together, and uh, we ran into each other in a hallway and started mm-hmm. discussing each other's content. We're like, oh, so apparently we're friends now. <laughs> so yeah, I, it was I great. That was cool. And Ashley, you get the, no, you, like you really people. initiated that. Well, good. Yeah. I I loved what you were doing and some of the things you shared. And I'm excited that we've been able to, you know, just encourage each other and share along the journey. Well, it's good to find people who are trying to do the same thing, because the more that you get out there, the more you realize there's so many people who need help and need hope. 
And we're all just on the same team trying to figure out how do we get good content to people to to just share. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know that that your years in ministry and your years in, in serving people for Christ's glory have really given you guys a heart for just all the things that that so many of us are dealing with on a day-to-day basis, many of those things being the type of things that I think we struggle to talk about. And so in I Used to Be, you really help us navigate some of those things. So even before we get into some of the the questions that I have here for you, I wonder if you could just just talk about your journey and why you guys decided to write this book together. Yeah. Well, for me, growing up, I always liked writing, maybe not always liked writing, but I mostly <laughs> liked writing and thought it would be really yeah. awesome to write a book. But then uh, life got busy. We were doing ministry. We had kiddos. And along the parenting journey, we started having some difficulties. So we faced recurrent miscarriage and we had our first two boys and then lost babies in 2015, 2016, and 2017. And we just decided that we didn't want like our grief to just stop with us. We wanted to bring some meaning and we saw other people who were hurting. And so we decided actually we first flipped our living room back here and turned it into a film studio and just hired a friend of ours who lived a street over to record a video series. And we're like, we're going to just make a program to help. And you know that kind of steamrolled and we were able to get onto Right Now Media. And then we took that and like, oh, maybe we could get an agent. Maybe we could write a book. And mm-hmm. so it was really awesome to see the way that the Lord took our pain and our struggles and helped us heal and then helped us, you know, try to help others. And that's really our goal with the book as well, that we, we ask people to go on a journey, not just to get better for themselves, but to get better because there are other people who they could help along their, along their journey. And so that's been kind of the, the passion behind where, where we've fallen, but it doesn't just apply to miscarriage. We've applied it to a lot of other losses as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I would imagine that for many of us, and I'm just saying this in a very wide way, very broad statement, that dealing with grief is one of the most complicated and difficult things that we do as human beings. I, I think that it's one of those things that I see people who stay stuck in their grief for abnormally long periods of time. There are some people that spend their entire lives never really recovering from the grief that they've uh, that they've been feeling or the trauma that they've experienced and they don't know how to process it they don't know what what to do with it and um i think for many of us as believers in the midst of that we would love the lord to just quickly fix it quickly address mm-hmm. it we don't want to go through the pain we don't want to go through the the ups and downs that we experience and we want to hear God's voice, but sometimes he seems pretty quiet to us in the midst of the lessons that he's teaching us. So how have you guys experienced this in your own life? And um, what encouragement would you have for those that are listening to us right now? I think there's so much power in going there and allowing yourself to grieve. Mm-hmm. I found that when I speak to people who have lost somebody or something or some type of identity that they've lost... They don't even want to identify it. And in the book, we have a place where we help people to just identify it. I'm grieving this. I miss the fact that I don't get to go have coffee with my friend Tim like I used to. 
just making a simple sentence, a simple declaration of what it is that you miss can be really powerful. Mm -hmm. I've also seen it where in the church, people think that they are more spiritual if they don't get sad. They're Mm -hmm. more spiritual if they don't hurt. They're more spiritual if they don't necessarily go there because to be a Christ follower means that you're above grief and pain and some sort of human experience. And that's just a lie. Uh, I mean, there's all, man, if we could just write out the sections of the Bible where people lament and go there and they recognize the fact that God seems distant and they feel like they're missing something they really, really loved in life mm-hmm. and they, a way they thought that life was going to be and life turned out to be different. And when we see how grief shakes people's identity, they don't know who they are, what their world is, what is their relationship with God now after this has happened, and it shakes them. Mm-hmm. And how do we help them to, to find that type of stability afterwards has been really foundational. But for us, we had times that we felt like God was quiet. God was silent. So we've been Christians for all of this time, and we go through the most difficult time in our lives or we're losing these little ones, or we've had relational failure, or we've had other things going on in our relationship. And it's like, God, where are you in this moment? And sometimes he feels close. Sometimes he doesn't. And it can almost make us feel like we're doing something wrong. And for me, I went to scripture. I'm like, okay, I know that other people have experienced something similar. And so I look at scripture and I see David in Psalm 42, you know, he's, he's lamenting. He's like, oh, where are you? And yet at the, after a few verses, he says, yet I'll praise the Lord. And then I see this in multiple chapters. I think it was like Psalm 13 and 22 as well, that, that he does the same thing. And um, it's not just David, but the other psalmist and there's people throughout scripture that they, they hear from God and then they have some periods of silence. And then there's also time whenever people are doing wrong and God says he's going to refuse to answer them. And so again, when we're going through grief, it doesn't necessarily mean God's refusing to answer because of our sin, but it could be that there's just distance or it could be because of us or it could be because of some circumstance, but, but God says he's hidden things from before the, before the world began or when he began the world. And so we can acknowledge that God has a bigger plan. And I I say that carefully because I know sometimes people will say that to someone grieving, God has a bigger plan. And it feels like um, a bandaid or it feels like it just hurts whenever you're grieving to hear that. But for me to say, okay, God, I know that you still love me, even though you're silent, because there were other people in scripture who experienced your silence and it came out full circle for them. And so I'm going to trust you. This is what faith's all about, trusting God when you don't see it, you don't feel it. And, and then we've seen that God was still present and we've seen little things that we didn't see in the moment whenever we looked back. And so we've been able to acknowledge that waiting it out and just trusting in God anyway, serving faithfully has paid off and has helped us to maintain that stability. And so we do try to help people to kind of understand some of that. And we use the scripture references so people can walk through at least what we've experienced and we challenge them to you know keep fight, fighting for their relationship with God along the journey. That's excellent. And, and as you guys were mentioning that, one of the things that you alluded to is that sometimes our own grief can be confusing to us and it can be uh, deceiving us in a way or lying to us. And I, I wonder, what, what are some ways that, that our grief lies to us and, and how does God's mm. word counteract that? 
Yeah. So grief lies. It tells us that we're alone. A lot of times we think that we're alone. Like, oh, no one else could possibly understand what I'm going through. And so we encourage people like, you know, in a sense, that's correct because no one can understand all of your emotions, all of your experiences, your day, your week, your month, your life. But other than God, right? He can understand that, but no other human can. But at the same time, grief isolates. It, t- it tells us like, it's better to just stay home. Don't go around people. Cause you might just not know what to say. You might get angry, more angry than you usually do. You might make other people sad too. You might make other people sad or mm. people will want you to be happy and you'll get mad at them for wanting you to be happy or they'll say the wrong thing and then you'll just feel hurt. Mm. And so, so we just build our walls to protect ourselves whenever we're going through hard times. And so grief lies to us and tells us so many things that aren't necessarily true, but we can lean into them and say, you hmm, what's my emotion telling me? And how can I bring that before the Lord and ask the Lord to expose the truth and expose the lie that we can work through that pain and the suffering? Something that I've found as a man is a lot of men believe that going there emotionally and tapping into what it is that you're feeling with grief will make you weak. Hmm. I found the opposite to be true. Some of the strongest men that I know they go there when they need to go there and they figure out how to deal with it and how to name it and how to have the conversations. That's the tough stuff. Mm. And I think that when I've spoken to a lot of guys who have, um, they, they, they and their, their wife have experienced miscarriage. They have confused feelings. I don't feel the same thing that my wife feels. I don't know how to communicate about this. I feel really, really upset. And I don't know that I should. Is this wrong? And I remember several conversations I've had. Um, some of the first ones when I was sharing with another man who had lost, lost little ones, I saw how he hurt and I realized I wasn't alone. And then I've been on the other end of the, the other side of the table where guys have shared with me and I've told them that I've felt those things and I've seen a weight come off of them. And once they go there, I see them being more emotionally available for their wife, more emotionally available for their kids. And something you said at the beginning of that question was, it sometimes hides and there's other consequences to not dealing with our grief. I see it come out in anger. I see it come out in a disconnect relationally at work. And whenever we get really shaken and we lose somebody or something that we love, we don't know are we stable in the other areas of our life? And how am I going to integrate this? And how am I going to show up fully, emotionally, mentally, spiritually? Because I'm scared to talk about this one thing. And everything gets shut down a little bit more. So it's empowering when when you see somebody take these steps. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting how for men in particular, you were just talking about some of the ways men present themselves in the midst of their grief. I have noticed just how safe it is for a man to tell you he's angry and how often what he really means is, I'm actually very sad, but Mm -hmm. it's safe for me to tell you I'm angry. But if I tell you Mm -hmm. I'm sad, I don't even know how to process that. And so I think you're going to act weird toward me, or I think you're going to think less of me or whatever it may be. And as a result, it ends up being one of those things where you don't end up dealing with your grief in a healthy way because you're just Mm -hmm. denying it the entire time. 
Yeah. And when we feel angry, we often feel powerful. You know, if I'm mad at Chuck, I'm like, well, you were wrong. And right. I feel like <laughs> I'm justified. And what did I say? Yep. And if I say I'm sad, you hurt my feelings. You know, I feel weak and like I'm giving him the power, mm-hmm. but part of the power is in, especially if we can bring God into it, you know, bring God in and say, God, what do I feel? And what do I need to do? Because if I'm angry, I might feel powerful and then I might be mean and hateful. And then I destroy this relationship whenever really I'm still sad and yeah. it didn't mm-hmm. fix the sad. It made the sad worse. Cause I didn't work through that. And then it made this worse between me and Chuck. And so hard. now yeah. I have two things. And so we build these walls where we're trying to protect ourselves. It actually creates distance between us and relationships. And it kind of makes us want to isolate more because I don't want to be around people because I'm kind of a ticking time bomb because (laughs) I have all these unresolved issues. That sounds like a cycle. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now you, in the, in the book, you, you try and be very practical and, Mm -hmm. and hopeful. And, and I like that combination because you're not just helping people acknowledge that something is real, although that's important for you to actually make progress. You have to acknowledge that something's real, but you're also mm-hmm. showing people some things that they could practically do to handle their grief and 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 process these things in a biblical way, in a, a proper way that's actually going to produce long-term healthy results. And one of the things that you talk about in the book is this concept of switch theory. So I wonder if you would define for us what switch theory is and how that could be something that's useful for navigating our own grief. Yeah. So switch theory is this concept that I developed over the decade or so that I was at a university and I've done counseling and working at the church. And so we have worked through just being curious about what's going on in relationships. And so you can have this like partner in your head that you feel like you love and you cherish, and then something can happen. It's like a switch goes off and you're like, you never, you always, and we can just be frustrated. And, and when we see this happening in people, man, it's almost like there's this switch in our brain where we get into this negative space. And so we've defined a positive space and a negative space. And we talk through how people go back and forth between there. So in a positive space, we tend to have positive thoughts, feelings, and behavior. Yeah. And then in a negative space, you have the other side of that, the negative thoughts, feelings, and behavior. And we can see how you often switch from one to another, maybe even today. So like you, John, you maybe had some things that you were in a negative space about a certain area of your life or something that didn't go so well. And then you can switch back to being more positive. And we see those switches happening often. Yeah. And so we normalize it. Like it's normal for all of us to go Mm -hmm. back and forth between a positive to a negative space. And then we try to help like, okay, can we increase insight to what our negative space looks like? What are those lies, especially the, the loops, the repetitive lies that go through our brain whenever we we're in this negative space. And if we try to remind ourselves of the truth, then that can help us get out of it. And so we highlight some of the natural things that people already do because sleep is restorative. So oftentimes we'll feel a little bit better when we wake up in the morning. And so Mm -hmm. God's created some natural things. When we get a little too hangry, it's because maybe we haven't (laughs) eaten, we get angry. And so we eat. And these are some natural reasons kind of help clear our mind, maybe get some extra calories to the brain so that we can think a little bit more deeply. So there's some natural things that happen, but then there's also some behavioral, some thinking patterns that we can, you know, work on to try to 
help keep ourselves in this positive space. So we have some terms that we teach through it, but that's the basic concept that we, we all want to be in a positive space. We just sometimes get stuck and we don't know how to get back. And so I especially see this as true whenever we go through loss, because it just seems like there's a cloudy lens through which we look at the world and it almost transcends into everything. And so I might be in a negative space because of a lost job, But then I feel like I can't even enjoy going out for a walk with my husband and seeing the sunshine. It just doesn't feel as good. Mm -hmm. And so when we have an area that's so important to us, that's difficult, it can kind of bleed over and make us kind of in a negative space with a lot of other areas of our life. And we've seen how sometimes people feel as if they're victims of their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And if you don't give them directions then they need to be taken captive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They need to be told, what are you going to, what are you going to do with this thought? And just because you have a thought doesn't mean that it's accurate. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It means it's input. What am I going to do with it? Is this putting me further into a negative space or am I going to be doing the work to switch back to a positive space and really taking ownership of that? We found it to be empowering for, for a lot of people. Yeah. And so our, our negative thoughts, you know, sometimes they come on purpose. Sometimes we're like, oh yeah. I'm mad at you. And I'm going to think about this and that, think about the other things. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, it just like hits us and we didn't ask for the thought to come. We don't want the thought. And so we kind of teach that idea that, you know, sometimes you're very in control and we have to, we have to get more control in those moments to say, I'm not going to let myself just say all of the mean things or think all the mean things. But then what do we do whenever we didn't ask for it? Either way, it is the same process to take the thought captive. And it comes from 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We take every thought captive mm-hmm. and make it obedient to Christ. And so if I'm angry or if I'm upset, if I'm sad, if I have these thoughts coming through and I don't want them, then that first step is to bring God into it and say, God, help me. But what we've learned is a lot of people don't pray when they get angry. They don't pray mm-hmm. when they get upset. And let me let me be a little more vulnerable. Okay, We struggle. Whenever we get well, in. I thought that was going to be about you. Like, <laughs> let me be a little bit more vulnerable. I thought that was going to be like you. Okay. <laughs> but it's hard. You know, we find like we want to you know, pray, but even like we'll try it with our kids. And like, I'm not as angry, but I can tell one of my kids and they're like, Mm, like it's hard like it. to want to mm-hmm. pray. Yeah. And so we try to be gentle, but just knowing that like, you're going to face resistance. If you're trying to help a loved one, get out of a negative space, you're going to face your own resistance when you're trying to get out. But praying does kind of help break that spirit or that attitude of, you know, anger and resentment. So we've seen switch theory be really effective just for people getting, um, being more self-aware and using it as a tool for themselves. And then all the way um, in a clinical sense, Ashley uses it in therapy. So just how are we going to do this with our kids around the house? It's like, well, are you like in a negative space about that? What are some of the behaviors? Okay, let's try to be curious. And then all the way up to like, therapeutic techniques. Yeah. And we've even gone into workplaces and talk about change and talk about, you know, how to be resilient and use it for retention because it is this thinking pattern, you know, that we, we can learn about ourselves and then work to make a manual reset. Excellent. Uh, Chuck, I have a question for you, pastor to pastor, and then I'm going to ask a question uh, to you, Ashley, counselor to counselor. Um, So the, the pastor to pastor question Chuck, when in in a church context, uh, I mean, people would be surprised at how much counseling work really goes into church leadership and and how much time is spent doing that. I actually remember I, I, I I was shocked when I became a pastor 25 years ago. 
I had this thought that I'd have all these teaching preps. I'd be leading Bible studies and I'd be preaching and and uh, hosting leadership meetings and doing things like that. And I discovered that more than any of those things, there are weeks that go by where my primary task is counseling. And uh, during the course of a week, I, I will find myself doing that quite a bit. I, actually, in the, the past couple of years, I, I mean, culturally, obviously, we've had some really difficult stretches and my counseling load became very, very high at one point to the point where I really have had to outsource a lot of it. But pastor to pastor, I wonder, you know, in the local church context, what encouragement do you have for those in the church who don't know how to move forward after a devastating loss? Mm-hmm. I think some of the things we've already talked about is how grief lies and mm-hmm. tells you that you're alone, reaching out to people and letting them know that you're hurting. Um, whenever someone comes to me and they ask for counseling, regardless of the issue, whether it be grief, it be an addiction, it be relational difficulties that might be going on, I ask them, what are you doing to be plugged into the church? Because many times people want counseling, but then I ask them, well, are you, are you plugged into the body here? Are you, are you regularly attending? Are you, so you see them isolating? Group? Sorry to I interrupt. See them isolating. Isolation is a big response, right? Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd say do the things that you know to do, but feel really difficult right now. Mm-hmm. That means what's the consistency that you need? It means that you need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to engage in worship in your home by yourself. Um, coming to this place and connecting with people, because those are the foundational things that keep us stable. And that's that's some of what it is that I, I tell people. And then also tell them to be honest with God, because he knows what you're going through already. Mm-hmm. You're not hiding anything from him. You're not keeping God more comfortable. You're not convincing him that you're more spiritual or more holy, because you're not praying about this area of your life. Ashley says something in some of our talks. She says, "Is like, how do you expect an area of your life to be holy if you're not praying about it? Hmm. It's like, how are we going to really invite God into our pain if we're not talking to him? Yeah. And those are some of the things that I've seen. And we see over and over again that people go to God with the raw, raw emotions. And it's okay to hurt. It's okay to be in pain. One of the most common questions I get from people when they're grieving, they come to talk to me as a pastor, they just look at me and they tell me some of the things they're feeling and some of the thoughts and some of the decisions that they're going through. And they feel like they're in this whirlwind and they want to say, pastor, am I okay? Am I okay? Is this normal? And most of the time I tell people, it's like, yeah, this is normal. This is what you're going through. It's unique to you and you're hurting in this way because you really miss your spouse, your wife who just passed away, mm-hmm. but it's okay that you're going through this. And part of it is keeping people around you to keep some of those guardrails on. It's like, no, you don't need to sell everything and move across the country right now because your partner just passed away last week. Now is not right. the time to make that type of big decision. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not as com- That's not common, but people want to know. Is it normal that I'm feeling these things? And I just want to let people know it's like, hey, you're going to be okay. You're going to keep working through this and don't put yourself in a box that you have to feel certain things by a certain time. Sometimes people, when they're grieving, they think that, well, I'm a Christian. I should feel better by next month. Hmm. I don't read that anywhere in scripture. Mm-hmm. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be having this major emotional response a year after I'm widowed. No, I don't see that in scripture either, or five years or 10 years. Grief changes us Mm -hmm. and allowing people to go there and experience that 
is a not only needed but a spiritual endeavor that I've found. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's very helpful. And I think sometimes in the church context, we have these unrealistic expectations of ourselves that that we're going to get this all figured out in five minutes. And sometimes I think a, a big part of our growth and sanctification is just trusting the Lord in the midst of those those valleys, those dark seasons where he's allowing us to be stretched. And in the end, our faith is going to be stronger. We're going to have a stronger testimony. We're going to be able to mm-hmm. be a blessing to other people. And we're going to be able to say at the other end of it, you know what, that was hard. And the Lord is faithful. He showed me that he was faithful in the midst of it. So I like that. Uh, Ashley, as, so you're a licensed counselor. And mm-hmm. by the way, I, I, I value that highly. I noticed after 10 years of, of serving in pastoral ministry, like I, I mentioned to Chuck just a moment ago, I couldn't imagine just how much of the role involved counseling. So I actually went back and got a master's degree in counseling specifically because I thought I need more training in this. I've had just, I felt like I had just cursory training in counseling and I've realized what a vital and important ministry it can be and, and uh, service to others it can be. And um, as a licensed counselor, you've helped numerous people navigate through seasons of grief and seasons of loss. And if we're in a spot right now, so I'm even thinking of some specific people in my own life who are going through some pretty heavy seasons of grief right at this moment. What can we be doing to support those that we love who are presently grieving? Yeah, I think one of the most important things is to ask them how they are. And that might might sound simple, but we've all been in those situations where we're like, oh, I hope they're doing okay. And then we get to an event and they're like, oh, they seem like they're doing okay. I don't want to ask because I don't want to upset them. They seem like they're kind of doing okay right now. And so then we don't ask and then we don't text and then we don't call because we're like, uh, and so I encourage you to, you know, to go ahead and ask, but then even if you do ask like, Hey, just checking in, how are you doing? And they don't respond or they say, okay. And they don't give you a lot of response. Or even if they say, I actually just need some distance. This is where I want to give you the challenge to try to like, put your stability um, guard on and say, I am going to fight for this relationship and I'm going to try to not take it personally and then do any sort of like distancing because I've had a couple of people, like I've committed to praying for them for like a year or a couple of years through their, through their losses. And I would just send them a scripture occasionally, or I would, you know, just say, Hey, thinking about you, like, Hey, I told you I was praying for you regularly and just sending you a text to remind you that I still am praying for you. And a lot of times they didn't respond. And then a year later, you know, maybe they would say, man, it really stained me. And I'm sorry, I didn't always respond, but I was always wasn't in the right place too. And I've even had people that would kind of say, hey, can you not ask anything? And it, it might have just been you know, because it was you know a, per, a personal thing like, hey, we've, we've brought you into this, but over the next couple months, we don't really want to talk about it. Mm. And I think sometimes it's really hard to navigate that. I'm like, you put this on me and I care, but now I shouldn't ask. And so again, just counting all of that as normal, that we don't know exactly when to ask and when not to. And so, I mean, I had a situation this weekend where I just went up to the person and said, Hey, how's it going? You know, and it's like, they could be like, Oh, I'm stressed about work and just avoid the subject. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I'm at least trying to learn to ask pointed questions where I give them the opportunity to share. And then if I 
see them, you know, say it's been a hard week. I'm like, well, do you want to talk about it? I'm asking them questions that I'm, I'm trying to create an openness for it, but I'm also being okay with them, them not. So then if you want some like practical tips as well, I think that just try to go to a group with them. There's all kinds of like, there's grief groups or grief event, or just mm-hmm. you say, hey, let's go to coffee and let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, be intentional to try to give them space to talk, to heal, read a book together, whatever it is, because people need support. And again, we talked about that cycle. They have this loneliness cycle where we withdraw and we want to get alone. And eventually we typically will do some sort of reach out. But if we have loved ones who reach out, then that's going to help us make progress that much faster. Because It's not just time that heals. It's what you do with your time that indicates whether you heal or whether you build bricks that cause the distance in the relationship. We encourage people in the book to bring somebody into this process with them. Yeah. Say, Mm -hmm. maybe somebody would want to read the book with you. And there are activities that you can do to remember the person or the identity it is that you've lost and they can walk with you through it and you're not going through it alone. And we found in our story that when we asked somebody to be there for us, they said, yes, Mm -hmm. maybe everybody doesn't have that hundred percent of the time, but you will likely be surprised that somebody will be there for you. If you just call them up and say, Hey, it's going to be hard for me to go do this trip tomorrow. I got to go someplace for a couple hours and I'm really dreading it. Will you just ride with me? Hmm. And people say, yes, I, I think that going back to the pastoral thing and just being the body of Christ, um, when you talk to somebody who's grieving, you don't have to try to fix it because you can't fix it. It's not your job to make them feel less sad. We put jobs and like, we have to fix it and y- you can't, fix it. You can't go back in time and take it away, but you can see them and you can love them and be there for them. And we give encouragement for people to to reach out and ask for help. But we also acknowledge that this is not exactly what we did. <laughs> so we also talk about <laughs> oh, like, for sure, we did a lot of this wrong. We talk about <laughs> job loss. We talk about like trust being broken within our relationship, not just miscarriage, but in all of these situations, like we've kind of not wanted to say, Hey, would you want to go to coffee and listen to me grovel or complain or whatever, or to have a hard time, we would just kind of deal with it ourselves. And we had different levels that we were at at different times, but we've tried to push ourselves. And we do tell some accounts where we're trying to do this and Mm -hmm. Hey, it worked. And so we show, you know, the, the failures that we've had as well. We don't want to just make it seem like, oh, we've done all of the things perfectly, but because it's been hard. Quite the opposite. Yeah. But we do see that following these processes helps even when it's hard. And that's the hope. That's the goal that we're trying to encourage that you, you can do these hard things and knowing that they do help is going to give you that encouragement. Excellent. Well, one final question for us before we finish up our time together. Uh, and let's just talk as we as we finish about the lasting effects of grief, because many of us experience grief and we don't realize the lasting effects that it could be having on us or the relationships mm-hmm. in our life. And I wonder, what are some ways that we could just be proactive and, and maybe discern how grief is affecting us? We encourage people to be future focused. We want people to know that you healing and doing the work. And I say healing, and I'm I'm cautious in saying that because healing almost sounds like you just fix it and and nothing is to be seen from it. But grief changes us. When you lose somebody that you love, it really changes you. But we try to tell people that how you process and how you work through these issues is going to impact the legacy that you leave. Think about 
how much more healthy a family would be if maybe you had a parent or a grandparent who really processed their grief and they were more emotionally available for their kids and grandkids. Mm-hmm. And they could have a conversation and think about the amazing things that grandma or grandpa did that they instilled in the family. And we hear too often about how um, when a mom or a dad passes away that they just don't talk about the loved one who passed in the home anymore and the kids don't get to have those memories. And that's the results of not dealing with grief. And you may not be that extreme, but doing this type of work impacts the legacy that you leave. You can make an impact on your great grandkids by how healthy you deal with this. You can reduce your chances of getting a divorce after a job loss because you do the work to realize, no, I'm grieving that I lost my job and this is changing how I view myself. And if I don't deal with it, it's going to create distance between me and my spouse. Helping people to see that there's a long tail to this and doing the hard emotional work sometimes of going there can really make a difference on the future. And there's a lot of ways that we cope and sometimes they're healthy. Sometimes they're not, but they all have consequences like short-term and long-term consequences Mm -hmm. or benefits. And so uh, it's important to kind of explore how am I coping? How are the effects going to impact my life? And so if we bury it, then we're building barricades or walls. And if we're dealing with it, then we're allowing ourselves to be um, hopeful and helpful. And so we talk about triggers and how we, we, we neutralize or work toward neutralizing these triggers. And those are things, you know, that, that we, we give us steps to help people fight for the positive space and to work, to work through the grief instead of allowing it to destroy them or kind of break them down over time. So, and we've seen, we've seen success with it. And so we're excited to, you know, be able to help others along this, along this journey to find hope and healing. Excellent. Well, the book is called I Used to Be, How to Navigate Large and Small Losses in Life and Find Your Path Forward. Our guests today have been Chuck and Ashley Elliott. Chuck and Ashley, where can our audience go to connect with you and purchase a copy of I Used to Be? Yeah, the book's available everywhere books are sold. You can find it on Amazon. It's a great way to do it. You can also find it at our website, chuckandashley.com. And we're on most all the social media platforms, you can just Google us and find us on there. We love connecting with people. We're pretty active on the different platforms about just giving hope and some uh, biblically-based relationship advice. Excellent. Well, it was a pleasure to have you both with us today. We wish you a lot of success with this book, and thank you for using the challenges and the trials and the grief that you guys have experienced in your own life to be a blessing to others and to share the wisdom that God has given you through those experiences. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Once in a generation, a podcast comes along with the power and eloquence to inspire us all. This show will entertain you while you wait for that one. Join two best friends, author and former history teacher John Driver and comedian Johnny W. for hilarious and authentic conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. You can listen to Talk About That wherever you find your podcasts or at lifeaudio.com.